Hello, and welcome to another episode of Team Geist, where your hosts, Josh Dawson and Jonathan Latimer. Today, we'll be taking a look at Manchester United's ambitions after a rebuild of the hierarchy, and we'll be discussing the club's future. Joining us is Rich Fay, Senior Manchester United Writer for the Manchester Evening News. So, Manchester United have promoted John Murto to the role of Football Director, and Darren Fletcher to technical director. Can you tell us how this will affect the club's football in operations? Well, I mean, the news was officially announced, you know, earlier this month that, that those two roles had been appointed. But in, in all honesty, they've sort of been roles that have been established slowly over the last few months and over the last few years anyway. I mean, John Murto introduced himself as the director of football in 2018 when the women's team was created and he oversaw the uh, the establishment of them as well as the restructure at academy level. So John Murto, you know, maybe from our point of view, we see it more as it's an official announcement now, whereas it's something that's always sort of been in the pipeline. Um, he was brought to the club by uh, David Moyes, worked with him at Everton. You know, he worked under Van Gaal, under Mourinho. And under Solskjaer, he's probably been given a bit more freedom, a bit more responsibility and his role is just to to be that point of contact on the footballing side of things, and and you know there was a reluctance from the club that they didn't want to go for someone from a, from another club who has this proven track record just with signings, but they feel that John Murto himself has already proven himself because he's overseen the the establishment of the women's team who are now very successful despite such a, a short period in their history, and the academy. You know, if if you look at United, they still set set, set the standard at academy level. Um, maybe even if they don't have a first team, they are still the, the standard bearers there. So Murto's role, you know, day to day, it should just be more progress like that. They just want to be cleaner with negotiations, make sure they don't miss out on targets as much. So his role will be very much about trying to get that reputation up, up again and trying to maybe put right some of the wrongs over the past few years because... You know, in the wider football world, United have become a bit of a, a joke, really, as a team who overpays for, for players and who doesn't always have a firm sort of strategy. So Murta will will firmly sort of oversee that and and make sure that those things are readdressed. And then Darren Fletcher, you know, United fans are crying out for someone who has that specific football experience on the board level. And his role, you know, he's been watching games as an analytical coach almost this season. He's not been sat with the coaching staff, but he's been observing from higher up in Old Trafford. Darren Fletcher as well, another role which he'll have is to actually sell the club to, to prospective players. So last January, when Erling Haaland was a target for United, one of the reasons Haaland didn't move to Old Trafford was because him and his father didn't believe it was a risk. Well, they did believe it was a risk just signed for Solskjaer because they'd worked together at Mulder. And, you know, they obviously like Solskjaer. They, they would probably be open to working with him again. But the worry was that what happens if they move to United and then Solskjaer's sacked or he's moved on, then you're not assured of having your, your sort of future at the club. So Darren Fletcher is going to be one of, one of the key figures in actually selling United as a long-term project, no matter who's in charge, no matter what's happening, they're a safe structure with a clear plan going forward. And I guess that's something that's been muddied in the recent years. You don't really know what United's identity is, despite what they keep on saying. But they had this cultural reset, as it's called, and Darren Fletcher will very much be on the footballing side, trying to convince players to, to join old, to move to Old Trafford, rather, and using his own past playing experience uh, to do that. So it seems like a demotion, if you will, for Matt Judge, who was obviously previously Ed Woodward's right-hand man, and he played a huge uh, role in global recruitment. 
Ina holds the title of Director of Football Negotiations, which by the sounds of it still means he'll be in charge of the likes of contract discussions. Is there likely going to be a change in the way deals are made then with other clubs? Well, the, the, the thing from United's point of view, you know, I mean, Judge met Woodward when they were both students at Bristol University together. And, you know, what we've been told is that Matt Judge was strictly just um, sort of a rebrand of his title. You know, like you said, he's now the director of negotiations. So his, his role is primarily to negotiate players' contracts and transfers. So he's maybe the man who does the sort of nitty gritty. It's down to Murto and Fletcher to actually get the player to say yes. And then they're handed over to Judge to actually sort of bash out the de- finer details of, of the deals, which, which would then uh, be established. So, you know, it's going to be difficult. And I guess maybe the whole point of it is that we don't always quite know what, what's going to lay ahead. But, you know, on paper, it looks like uh, Matt Judge's role is primarily going to, going to sort of stay the same, just that new title um, and the way that his job works day to day should still be the same. He sort of could be the man from an internal point of view who, who has to finalise the contracts, the negotiations and, and report that all back. But it should be Murta and, and Fletcher who maybe go out and make those first advances for the players, get them speaking, get them happy to move to United and then pass them off to people like Judge to actually get the get his name on, on the contract. Can you give us an overview as to what Ed Woodward's role is going to be now then? I mean, Ed Woodward's role is always, you know, going to be synonymous with United's success, really. And ever since he came to the club, you know, Woodward was appointed as Sir Alex Ferguson retired. So from Woodward's point of view, he still is, t- you know, he's taken this backseat role. He, he, the, you know, the social media abuse, etc., and the criticism is always still directed at Woodward when his interest is more on a commercial point of view. You know, he's not got a footballing background whatsoever. And I think there's maybe been a bit of a, not a reality check per se, but he's had to take a step back and realise what his role is because previously he was maybe trying too hard to see as the success at United. And, you know, United have been a failure ever since Ferguson retired and that coincides with Woodward's appointment. And, Woodward wants to be able to say, you know, I've been at United in a successful period and and to have that on his on his sort of record. So he's maybe been guilty in the past of trying to be at the forefront too much. His role now should still be setting back a bit and taking care of the commercial side of things. Um, I know it gets joked about a lot, but United's growth on social media, their growth worldwide, their commercial deals, the new shirt sponsorship which has been announced, most of that is down to Ed Woodward because from a commercial point of view he still knows how to sell Manchester United as a business and as an investment to, to companies across the world. So there should now be a clear light, sort of sand in the line. Before it was muddied, who does what, what, what are their roles, etc. But with the new director of football and technical director uh, appointed, it should very much be Fletcher, Murto, etc. They're on the footballing sides of the business and Woodward is very much on the sort of marketing and commercial side. So going forward, you'd like to think that that's going to continue with more partnerships, more investment being brought into the club, ensuring that revenue streams continue despite the pandemic. Uh, but we'll, we'll wait and see. It depends if, if Woodward is happy to, to get that role or maybe he'll want to get involved again on, on the footballing side of things. But I think very much so the plan is that Woodward will solely concentrate on the sort, sort of commercial activities of the club. So is this a step forward then for the club? Is it something fans have been calling for for a long time? Or is there reason to be sceptical? Because it's an in-house appointment and Fletcher, you could say, is fairly inexperienced in his new role. 
Yeah, I mean, Darren Fletcher, you know, he had, he when in 2019, he attended a high profile meeting about United's proposed restructure. I know he's always viewed as an advisory voice in that. And, you know, he was never seen as a candidate really for the director of football position himself. Um, you know, he only joined United as a first team coach in January. And, you know, since then, I can understand why some fans might be skeptical that it's all come quite quickly but you know United were always keen to maybe go for an internal appointment because they they just have you know Murto whether you like whether he maybe he might not have the sort of glamorous name that some of the other candidates had but he has that proven track record in-house for United like we said he oversaw the establishment of the, the women's team he oversaw the restructure at academy level which has been a huge success United were promoted back to the Premier League too this season they're doing very well considering they've got such a young young side the the signings at youth level last summer as well were astounding really they were the best out of any team in world football at a youth level so Murto isn't seen as a risk really from United's point of view and United also maybe they've maybe learned from a first team transfer mistake themselves that it's not always best to go for a big name you know we saw United sign players like Sanchez like Lukaku these players who were supposed to come in and be the proven sort of match winners and that's the same with the director of football you know they could have gone for Van der Sar they could have gone for Ralph Ragnick they could have gone for Paul Mitchell or Stuart Webster someone like that who is who is established and has this track record of actually working as a director of football. But then extra pressure comes with that because United are then compared to what the others have, have done at previous jobs. And yeah, I think they just wanted to create their own identity rather than steal someone else's at, at this level. But certainly the, the, the signs are good. The, the appointments might have been a, a tad underwhelming for those who are happy for the big names. But as United have proven so many times over the years that signing the big names doesn't necessarily bring the results so I think it very much is a step in the, in the right direction it's taking United a long time to get to this period it was back in 2018 when they said they were close to appointing a director of football three years later they finally have done although be it he is called the football director not the director of football which the club have been very also clear to to make a point of that they are different roles and I've probably already called them by the wrong job title on this podcast already as well so the, the signs are good but you know the proof is in the pud pudding and we'll see what, what actually happens in the next few months Delivered by Albrighton Iheanacho 3-1 and Leicester City are heading towards their first FA Cup semi-final for 39 years so United crashed out of the FA Cup on Sunday. Um, what did you make of the performance? Because it was, it's pretty poor. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up there with pretty poor. Um, to me, it just sort of summarised everything that we know that's bad about United. We've just been there sort of giving them a glowing report and praising them for what they've done off the pitch. But the issue is that for United, and from a business point of view, um, they still just ultimately determine the success of a season on whether or not they qualify for the Champions League and the riches which come with it. For United, the be-all and end-all isn't winning trophies. Solskjaer said it himself, you know, last week with some weird comments which sounded David Moyes-esque really, where he said that trophies don't determine the success of a team. And OK, winning the League Cup doesn't make you a good manager. We saw Van Hal sacked after he won the FA Cup for United anyway. 
but United haven't won a trophy in nearly four years. They've got to prioritise silverware and they just stink of a team who don't seem to really care about winning trophies. And they're not in a privileged position where they can discard the FA Cup like they probably once did. You know, it is the, the lesser of the three big trophies, but it's still a big trophy. There's only four trophies United can win every season. Why on earth would you ever disrespect one? I've never understood that. I would value everything and to win everything should be your, your driving passion. And Solskjaer himself keeps on saying how United need to maybe overcome that mental barrier of actually going into a final and, and succeeding and winning a trophy because it can propel your career like it did for that 2006 team. They won the League Cup. Vidic and Evra won their first trophies of United. Two years later, they win the Champions League and the Premier League. So it really can be an effective springboard. But the, the Leicester game just stuck to me as a match in which United were disregarding and they saw it as a sort of expendable trophy when it should have been an essential one. They're not going to win the Premier League. Yes, they might win the Europa League, but you know it's the Europa League. It's still the secondary European competition. In a season when you finish second and win that, okay, it might be decent, but Man City might have won a quadruple. So you can't really be praising your Europa League trophy success. But yeah, United should have gone all out in the FA Cup for me, particularly with the favourable draw they, they might have had and the fact that they, they have a track record of beating Chelsea and Man City in one-off games. You know, of the top four teams, they are the two which United tend to beat the most under Solskjaer. So it was a real missed opportunity in my bag. I also didn't buy the sort of rhetoric of he had to rest players. He said lots of things happened behind the scenes that, that we're not all privy to. And of course, there could have been some underlying injuries, etc. But if that is the case, come out and say that. And then you've got some excuse and some lenience. We've seen Marcus Rashford playing at Luton Town this year. We've seen Bruno Fernandes playing almost every game. We saw him captain the side and starting that dead rubber against Real Sociedad. And then you're determining that he's not fit enough to play against Leicester in one of your biggest games of the season. It just, to me, it was just really odd. And United paid the price and deservedly so. It's It was good to see them punished in a way because they shouldn't be able to get away with that. Manchester United. And that's not an easy hurdle for Granada. So uh, Granada, the first experience, and Manchester United, one of the two former winners, uh, they won in 2017. So with them being out of the FA Cup, they got quite a favourable draw in the Europa League, which must be a very huge priority for Solskjaer now. Yeah, it's got to be the, you know... To be honest, United are in the top four now, no matter what happens. The win against West Ham has given them such a cushion there that it would really take a disaster for them not to get the top four. You'd rather, win, you'd rather finish fourth and win the Europa League than finish second and not win anything. United needs trophies. They need to tick that box. You know, It was always the thing which underlined and undermined Pochettino's success at Tottenham. He was a great manager, but he didn't win trophies. It's such an easy attack on someone, isn't it, to, to say that. And United just need to, to do that, to quash that. And you know, like we said, it can be the springboard for great success. Granada, you know, you can play devil's advocate and say, oh, they've done this, they've done that, they've taken points from these, they've taken points. They are not on the calibre of Manchester United. They're not an elite team. It's Manchester United in the Europa League. After the match last night, Solskjaer said, we've got to try and go as far as we can. That's not good enough. United are the best team in the Europa League. They've got to go and prove it. They've got to win the trophy this season. Anything less is a failure. You're Manchester United. Yes, you might say, well, in the last four years, we've not been quite as good as we used to be. But it's Manchester United in the Europa League. It shouldn't even be a discussion of can they get past Granada. It should be who they're playing in the final. Who can they play in the final? 
you know, the standards have slipped at Manchester United and that sort of shows it. That They're a team who should demand trophies, not see them as optional. So the Europa League has to be the priority now. Like I said, from a neutral point of view, for myself, fourth place in the Europa League is a far better se- season than second and no trophies. Would you say then that this almost defeatist mentality from Ole lends it to, you know, the, the Twitter mob? the people that are calling him to be sacked. Would you say that that's a fair or would you say it's reactionary? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one that, and, and they do go hand in hand. And I don't think Solskjaer makes it easy for himself quite a, quite a lot of the time. You know, I, I do still think he has made progress at United. You know, there is a clear identity to the way that Manchester United play football now, which I just didn't see under Van Hal. I didn't see under Mourinho. And the thing which we've also seen under Solskjaer is we've seen United play against top teams and beat them well. Saw them at Man- beat Man City at the Etihad. Saw them beat PSG in Paris. Saw them demolish RB Leipzig. But then they lose to Istanbul Basak Sahir, which sums up United under Solskjaer, really. It's been some of the greatest highs post Ferguson and some of the lowest lows. And the consistency just hasn't always been there. But it's certainly something which is improving. And, you know, the fact that United's incredible domestic away run ended at the King Power Stadium, you know, which proves just how, how well they are doing it in that aspect. And there is a winning belief starting to creep back in but you can still get carried away because Man City are just an absolute class above Manchester United at the moment. And the other caveat is United's successful season, which is seen as second in the Premier League, comes with the caveat that Chelsea have sacked a manager this season. Tottenham are still sort of settling in under Jose Mourinho. We've seen Arsenal, who are as erratic as ever. Liverpool having an absolute disastrous season. And if just one or two of those teams had the similar consistency, United might be third or fourth. So you've got to look at the wider picture and the wider world. But United are starting to get the ball rolling under Solskjaer, but they're still a way off winning the Premier League title and they're still going to need some more additions to do that. And as you said, in terms of Solskjaer's rhetoric, he still often speaks like someone who isn't a Manchester United manager. Obviously, he's proven a lot of us wrong and he's done a hell of a better job than most people predicted but he still does lend himself to criticism. Often, I think it is over the top and, abs- and you know uncalled for. But when you go to Leicester away, you drop your key players and then you come out saying that you know you, you wouldn't change the lineup. You're just asking for for some sort of retaliation. But you know some fans do take it too far, which is which is obvious and almost goes without saying. But Solskjaer doesn't help himself, shall we say? And there's a lot of speculation surrounding his new contract at the club which he's currently in his last year do you know where things stand on that i mean there's no official line from the club yet i mean you know the, the fact is that the key figures at the club all keep saying how much progress has been made under Solskjaer. woodward said it is quarterly call earlier in the month richard arnold said it last week you know, there has been progress under oleg on the Solskjaer. and if progress is being made and if you not do win a trophy this season then there's no reason why they wouldn't want to keep him particularly with the restructure you know the restructure very much includes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as part of that. You've got Murto and Fletcher on the footballing side, you've got Woodward. But ultimately, Solskjaer's the man. He's the one who picks the team. He's the one who 
identifies players that he wants for the first team as well. So I would not be surprised to see Solskjaer handed the new contract at all. The way that United do things, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they were maybe hoping to win the Europa League and then the day after announced Solskjaer has got a new long-term deal. That's probably how I'd see it happening. And I think United have learned from the mistake as well that when they appointed Solskjaer, it came after a bad run of games. You know, after his caretaker spell, which is phenomenal, immediately United had lost, you know, against Paris Saint-Germain, they'd lost against Arsenal as well, and then they backed Solskjaer. But then the standards dropped immediately, and United almost fell off a cliff once Solskjaer was actually permanent manager. So I think it's very much concentrate on the job in hand, um, maybe have a contract penciled up in case things do go well and you can extend it at the end of the season. Solskjaer will be absolutely delighted to stay. I think United will be happy to keep him as well because you know the dressing room is a very happy place at the moment and United players genuinely do enjoy playing for Solskjaer. He's a man-manager who understands what they're going through playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. I just think it will be about timing for Manchester United. They have to wait for the right moment if they are going to announce Solskjaer on a new deal. But I, I very much would would see that happening. So on the face of things, he's doing a great job. But if he was to be rewarded with a new contract, the standards will be higher than they are already and he'd need to do an excellent job. Um, how do they close the gap between themselves and Manchester City? That's a good question, isn't it? Maybe that's the, the questions we should be asking Solskjaer himself. And, you know, he, he likes buzzwords and he always talks about the fine margins. He always talks about the consistency. And for Manchester United, they need to do a couple of things. First of all, they need to find a way to win when Bruno Fernandes isn't always firing. You know, it's been... Since his last his last year has been absolutely incredible at Old Trafford. But when he doesn't play, United don't really win. They need to get some consistency in defence. And that also goes into defensive midfield situation. You know, lots have been spoken about who should be the partner for Maguire. It should be Lindelof, should it be Bailly? It should probably be neither. You know, you've already invested so much in Maguire, though, that it's going to be difficult to then sanction another 80, 90 million pound defender when you've already got one and the expectations will only rise again. United need to sort out the contract situation with Paul Pogba. Is he going to stay as he go? Because the uncertainty of that underpins a lot of United's success as well. You know, they, their best football last year came with that midfield three of Matic, Pogba and Fernandez. Their best football this season has tended to come with Pogba in the side as well. So if United want to close the gap on Man City, they need to determine the long-term future of their goalkeeper, their centre-backs, Paul Pogba, and get another striker in as well, I think. Um, the, the truth is that even if United started keeping more clean sheets, they don't score enough goals to win the Premier League title. You know, in the last few years, Liverpool and Man City are blitzing records for goals scored and the standards have been lifted to such an extreme that Manchester United still don't really keep up with it. I know others will point towards the fact that Rashford, Marshall, Greenwood had great seasons last season, but right now they still don't do it enough. And if United want to win the title, there is such a huge gulf in quality. I still think between them and Liverpool and Man City, you know, in a normal season and with both all those teams fully fit, United is some way off still. And they just need world-class players in every area of the pitch. And I still think that there's uh, a gap at centre-back and a gap at centre-forward, which, which need to be uh, solved. At what age would you invest in a striker? Because there is Mason Greenwood, who you could argue in two years' time would be ready yeah. to lead the firing line. Yeah, exactly. I've written a piece about that myself this scene as well. But 
Mason Greenwood, we keep on being sold to him. He's the future of Manchester United, he's the future of England. But if United then went out and signed someone like Haaland, who's, you know, in, in the same sort of age bracket, then what does it mean? It makes it sound like Greenwood would only ever be a backup. And you've got Ahmad on the right, who is someone who could be the long-term right-wing option. You could bring in a striker who could be the long-term striking option. So what does it mean for Greenwood? And, you know, he does look like a real generational talent. People forget just how good he is. And I know he's had a difficult year this year and it's been troublesome this, this season. It's basically a second season in senior football. And everyone will know about second season syndrome. But Mason Greenwood is exceptional as a footballer. And I'd love to see him give him more, more of a chance and more of a development as that number nine role. So for, from my point of view, I think United should still target someone in that sort of 30 sort of year old age bracket, someone a bit more, with a bit more longevity than Edison Cavani, but someone in that sort of similar mould. I think a, a striker who could come in and for one or two seasons be the number one striker and then take a step back, similar to when Robin van der Persie came in. Okay, he came to United and only had one great season, but it was the season which made United Premier League champions. And then he took a back step and he sort of faded out. But I think something in that similar role. I mean, I don't know who they could go for personally. I don't really want to be throwing names out there and, and seeing gossip columns uh, ignited by them. But I think someone in that older mould who can come in, have one or two years at the very top and then make way for green would, would make the most sense for me because I think that if you brought in someone like Haaland, yes, it'd be exceptional, but to play devil's advocate, it would also probably come at the cost of, of one of their striking options at least. Tai does well, and now Hugh Gill on the hunt for a fourth. It's Joe Hugh Gill. Of course he scored. That's what Joe Hugh Gill does. And Manchester United have five here against Liverpool. The club have invested heavily in youth in recent times. As you said there, it was £30 million on Ahmad Diallo. It was approximately £10 million on Palestri, who's now back out on loan. And there's lots of talent across the under-18s and 23s in Joe Hugh Gill, Charlie McNeil... So do United need to invest lots or is it a case of holding out and bringing the talent through? Yeah, it's a difficult one. And like you said, I think if United were top of the league already and they were winning things, then you could make the argument to say United don't need to spend every, anything. And we've seen it in the past from teams who who are winning. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson always said it was such a challenge to buy when you're on top. You only need one or two additions and you can supplement it with, with the youth players. But... The, the, there is almost a reality check, I think, which United fans need is a player playing well for the under-23s does not guarantee any sort of success at first-team level. You only have to look back to three years ago where it was Angel Gomez and Tahir Chong. They were the next two players to make it United. Neither of them did. They were both exceptional at under-23 level, but it just didn't work out for them. And, you know, Hugel and McNeil are both kids. They are a long way off from making it in the first team, even by modern standards where you've seen people like Mbappe break out when he's 17. Barcelona have players who are 16, 17 in their team. But the physicality of the Premier League and Manchester United's schedule just makes that more difficult. Um, you've got Shoretire, you've got Medjbury who, you know, are on the cusp and they're attacking players and their sort of flair attributes mean that they can flourish at times in these sort of cameo roles. And I guess the, the issue is that because United weren't in the Europa League from the start, they didn't have the chance to play players in the group stage uh, like they did last season. So I think in the coming year, we'll see more players playing in the League Cup, maybe some of the dead rubber Champions League games, if there are any. 
But yeah, United have a very exciting crop of players and they've got a, a proven track record of that. But I think there still needs to be heavy investment at senior level. You can't be relying on the likes of Hugo McNeil, Medjabri and Shiratire already. Um, like we said, there's so many examples of players who have come with a similar hype and just not done it. And that's no criticism of them. It's just such a difficult jump up. But then you've got people like Ethan Laird and James Garner who are both shining in the Football League on loan this season. And, you know, defensive midfield and cover for Wan-Bissaka are two positions United are looking at. They might not be high on the list of priorities, but they are on the list. And you definitely say people like Garner and Ethan Laird would be in with a shout of being integrated into the first team next season. Do you think we'll see United invest then this summer, obviously with the new structure for the first time? Because history shows that when United are in the top four, a lot less money is spent than when they're outside of it. Yeah, exactly. United spend to get back into the Champions League, but they don't spend when they're in there. That's just been uh, maybe a quirk of of the recent decade or so. And I think it's because United, when you're in the Champions League, you get so much money. When you're not, you're so desperate to get that that cash again. And it all comes back to one of the first questions you asked me. It's that United are a team who values Champions League qualification over winning any trophy really at the moment and, and that's the problem but I think it'd be similar to last year you know the pandemic does make it very difficult no team really wants to sell on their key players because they've then got to replace them in such difficult circumstances themselves but there are teams such as Dortmund who are hemorrhaging money their losses are going to be in the region of 100 million euros and they will have to sell someone but United are still going to look for a big deal I think loan deals and swap deals will be very big this summer again because the lack of money going about. But United have the money in place. You know, like I said last time, I think they spent in the I think the net spend was about 71 million or so. I plucked that on my head though, so I could be way off and I, I don't want any abuse if I am. But I, I'd expect that sort of money to be spent again and I'd expect it to either be a big signing at centre back or centre forward and then maybe one or two sort of supplementary players as well. But I can't see more than three signings really into the United squad just because the way that they they do deals. But that's based on their past. You know, this is a new setup which hasn't really been tested yet. So they could prove me wrong. But I'd probably still expect three or four signings maximum and the the spend to be in that region of 70 to 90 million pounds or or whatever. But a lot of it depends on the fees they get for players as well. Romero off the books would be great for wages. Phil Jones would be as well. Jesse Lingard sold should get a decent fee um but yeah it's going to be about balancing the books united this summer and in order to recruit they're going to have to cut from what already is a bloated squad so that's all from us today on team geist many thanks to rich for joining us to share his thoughts and knowledge and thanks to you the listener for tuning in